I want to go through some conversations that Jesus had in the book of John. And the idea that I want to portray is that he handled each one differently. And in that sense, he has an individual plan for each of us as well. And he can get through to us in ways that we don't anticipate. And he's able to speak to our hearts when we don't think we could possibly even hear him. And yet, uh, he does. And so, what I want to do is just walk through a few of these conversations. Um, the first one in, in John chapter 1 is with a man named Nathaniel. Uh, Nathaniel has been told by Philip, they're sitting under a tree, and he's going, uh, I think we've found the Christ. And Nathaniel's going, eh, I don't think anything good can come out of Nazareth. He's aware of the prophecies and he's just, he's not seeing anything that would speak to that. But he goes to check it out anyway. And when he gets there, Jesus uh, speaks to him and he, he speaks to his character. And he says, uh, here's a true Israelite, no deceit in this one. And then he goes to say, yeah, I, uh, Nathaniel, how did you know me? And Jesus says, well, before Philip called you, when I, you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And so there's a supernatural link, but it, it grabs him, and he knows that he's in the presence of something unusual or someone unusual. And so he responds, and he says, this must be real. And Jesus says, well, you know, just because I wowed you that way, there's a whole lot more you need to see. And, and they go on from there. But it... it, it it intrigues me that, that Jesus pulls this out and says, okay, um, I can declare your character and that's not going to impress you that much. But then he speaks, I saw you before, and, and suddenly the guy's attention is there. Now, for each of us, it may take a different way, right? But there's ways that God has to deal with the issues of our heart. And sometimes that's going to come through a conversation where somebody speaking by the Spirit of the Lord challenges you in a way or speaks to something specific. You're going, well, how did they know that? Well, I assume the same kind of thing is taking place as what transpired in that passage. Let's move on, because I have several to go through. <laughs> Nicodemus chapter 3. Nicodemus was a teacher of the law. He was a very religious man. And so he, he comes to see Jesus, but he comes to see him at night because already Jesus has a little bit of question about who he is. And, and so this man didn't necessarily want to be seen with him in the daylight. But then he asked Jesus, okay, what needs, you know, what's going on here? And Jesus draws out this passage and says, unless a man is born again or born from above, can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And, and, and Nicodemus going, what do you mean? Have to have a new birth all over again. Yeah. He 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 catches him, and it, and Jesus doesn't start into the law. He doesn't tell him to do this or do that. He just catches him with something that can't be done naturally. The the religious man who is living right is told that's not the key to all of this. And so they go forward in their conversation from there. And then Jesus does make the declaration. 
you know, he's been asked, you know, who are you? You're a teacher. We know that for sure. But what's going on here? When Jesus says, no one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man, he is making a declaration about his deity in that moment. Son of Man is a term that comes out of the book of Daniel, and it's something that uh, they were looking for, someone that would come this way. And, and so in that moment, Jesus has already caught his attention He's drawn to the fact that it's not about just you living a, a good lifestyle. He's saying there's something that has to transpire inside. And then he gets to the point and says, now you asked this question about me. Now I'm going to tell you, yes, I am different than the others. And so again, there's this unique way of addressing an individual. Now when, when Jesus goes to, and speaks to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, it's a whole nother approach. He and the disciples are passing through Samaria. And it's a place where um, there's a lot of agitation because there's a question. It's like racial discrimination. And it's a group of people that the Jews don't necessarily associate with. And so when Jesus sits down, he's tired, and he starts talking to the woman at the well. Not only is it unusual for him to be talking to a woman, but it's unusual for him to be talking to a Samaritan woman. And she calls him out on it and says, why are you talking to me? He says, I need some water. And, and he, she says, well, you don't have a bucket. And he's going, if you knew who is talking to you, you would ask for living water unto eternal life. She says, I'd like some of that. But again, he is, he's addressed something of the moment. He's drawn her in. And then he says, at some point, he goes, uh, go get your husband. I don't have a husband. And then Jesus calls her out and says, yeah, you've had five and you're living with another guy. Um, that's true. But uh, take, and she says, I see that you're a prophet. <laughs> you know, she's... She's been called out, and he's going, okay, you're, you're unusual. You're different than others. But then it, it goes on, and, and she immediately draws in the religious argument. Well, you know, what's better, to worship on this mountain or in Jerusalem? You know what? You know, and, and Jesus doesn't get caught up in that. He says, true worshipers worship in spirit and truth. It's not about the locale. And so he, he's... He's on her, and, and she's just going, okay, this is, you know, this guy is unusual. And she goes back and draws the village and says, you need to come hear this man. He might be the Messiah. So again, a different approach to the conversation. The supernatural is connected to it, but at the same way, it's getting the attention in the way that it needs to be gotten. And I look at that and going, he speaks to us the same way. Each of us has unique situations that, that cause for a different response. And so there's an opportunity for us to hear from the Lord even in our situation. Let's look at the disabled man in John chapter 5, paralytic at the Pool of Bethesda. It's interesting to me that when Jesus comes up to him and says, Do you want to be healed? The guy goes, well, nobody can get me into the water when the angel troubles it. 
There was a tradition that when the water was troubled, people would get healed. I don't know anything about that, but I do know that this man who's asked if he wants to be healed doesn't give a straight answer. It's more the answer of hopelessness. I'd love to be healed. I just, there's no help. There's no way for me to be healed. And Jesus tells him, get up and walk. So immediately, he he cuts to the chase. He heals him. Then later on, after the man has gone to the temple and come back, Jesus says, go and sin no more. Don't sin anymore. So he, he addresses some of the spiritual issue, but he really doesn't take it on in the initial. He gets the guy's attention, and healing certainly would be getting your attention. But then he draws it back and says, okay, this is what needs to take place after this. I want to go to John chapter 8 with the adulterous woman. There's a woman that had been caught in adultery and tradition of that day was that she would be stoned. And the religious leaders bring her to Jesus and say, what are you going to do? What should be done? And he, he addresses it in a way, you know, he is without sin, casts the first stone, and they all wander away. So he's left with the woman. Now, in that moment, he says, I don't condemn you either, go and sin no more. But what, what challenges me, like the Samaritan woman, he had this long conversation. And this woman, she had been moments from death. She, she had to be emotionally just wasted. She had to be in a place where really conversation was the last thing that she wanted. And, and Jesus gets to the point and just says, well, I'm not condemning you. Go and sin no more. That's all she could handle in that moment from my perspective. And he does what's needed and takes care of it. Let's look at Thomas. I'm going to go to John chapter 20, but I'll remind you that at the Last Supper in John chapter 14, Jesus is telling them, it's important that I go away and prepare a place for you, and then you can come, and, and Thomas goes, we don't even know where you're going. How are we going to get there? Very pragmatic. You know, it's like you're, <laughs> you're talking about all this, you know, going away and pre- How is this going to work out if we don't know what's going to take place? And Jesus makes this declaration. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so he keeps it in a spiritual realm. But he, he, he gives one of the most powerful verses that we cling to. And he says, this is the way to God. This is, no one enters except through this channel, so to speak. Well, that said, after the crucifixion, the disciples, some of them see Jesus, and Thomas was missing from one of those meetings. And Thomas goes, yeah, I'm not buying it. Unless I can see his hands and put my hand in his side, nah. <laughs> you know, you must, you must be having an illusion, or you're just pulling my leg. It, this just isn't so. And so... When Thomas is gathered with the others at one 
time when they're together in this room. It says the doors are locked. You know, they're, they're frightened. They're not sure what's going to take place. And suddenly Jesus appears. And he says, peace be still. <laughs> you know, bad enough to just suddenly he's there. But then he addresses Thomas and he says, okay, here's my hands. Put your hand in my side. And Thomas, my Lord, my God, you know, he's, he's overwhelmed. He knows, he knows, he knows. Jesus has done what exactly was needed to, to get a hold of his life. Jesus said, blessed are the people who have not seen and yet have believed. But he, he cared enough about Thomas to do what was necessary. One final example. Let's go to John chapter 21. This is in regard to Peter. Now Peter, as you know, had told the Lord, everybody else may flee you, but not me. Peter was also the man that Jesus had pointed toward and just said, when Peter had said, you're the Messiah, he said, upon this rock I'll build my church. Peter was one who was who was really the first in a lot of things. But he had denied the Lord, and he had run. And there's a need to address that. Now, it's not the first time that Jesus sees Peter, but Peter has been told with, by Jesus, and he's, the disciples have been told, go to Galilee, I'll find you. And uh, Peter gets there and he goes, well, I'm going fishing. That had been his occupation, and in some ways it's almost like, well, maybe life is going back to the way it was. Or whatever, they spend the whole night and don't catch a thing, which would have been miserable. But in the morning, Jesus is there on the beach. He's made a bed of coals. He has some fish roasting. And he calls out to them, have you caught anything? No. Well, throw your net on the right side of the boat. <sighs> been thrown down on the wrong side of the boat all night. No. <laughs> He just, you know, it's just throw it on the right side of the boat. Okay. Well, they get this huge catch. And somebody says, it's Jesus. Gotta be. And Peter just jumps out of the boat. <laughs> Forget the fish. Gets ashore and uh, Jesus feeds them. You know, he, he, he takes care of the, the natural need. And then he addresses Peter and says, do you love me more than these? You know, he'd, uh, Peter had made the boast. I'm going to, I'm going to stay faithful if nobody else does. And Jesus asks, do you, do you really love me more than these? He's addressing the issue. The elephant in the room. You know, the, the, the complicated situation that Nobody wants to talk about. And, and yet he's saying, do you love me more than these? Yes, I love you. He says, well, feed my lambs. And Jesus asks him again, do you love me more than these? Now, some people draw attention to the different plan words, and I'm not sure how important that really is. Because in the original languages, there are some variances. But I, I think what... The core issue is not 
Are you going to live perfect? Not are you going to do better than everyone else? But do you love me? And then he's told, shepherd my sheep. And he calls them to leadership and to step forward. Even though he's had some failures, even though he's not living perfect, even though he hasn't distinguished himself from everyone else, Jesus just said, feed my sheep. And then he asks him a third time, do you love me? And it says Peter's grieved. He says, you know me. You know my heart. I love you. And in that, it's almost like Jesus is in some ways saying, yeah, I know. You know, even though things didn't work out the way you thought they were going to, even though you failed, Jesus in some ways is forcing Peter to reveal his heart. And it's in the right place. He says, yeah, I love you. And in some ways, I guess what was stirring me this week was like, in our insecurities, we can sometimes get honed in on the things that we don't do particularly well or the things where we've come up short of what our expectations were or even the claims that we've made to others and, and we've failed. And at some level, we go to the Lord with that same mindset and go, how, how, how could he receive me? Would he even care to have me as a part of his life and it's interesting that Jesus addresses it where Peter hasn't brought it up but Jesus says do you love me yes I do and there is something in us that goes yes I do live perfect no but yes I do love the Lord and then you go back and you go, what's the, the, the primary commandment given to humanity? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second was love your neighbors yourself. And in that moment, Peter's declaring, I love you. And, and so in some ways, the Lord has gotten through all the other clutter and brought him back to the place of going, Time to get on the road again. Time, time to take care of this. And he, and he says, again, you know, feed my sheep. So all of that taken care of, there's the, the acknowledgement that when we come before the Lord, He has the ability to to know what's needed to draw us in, and he does. It's just like some of you aren't quite sure why you're here today, why this place, why this church, why this moment. And yet, I would suggest to you that's not accident, that God is wanting to speak into your life as well. And sometimes we come and, and there, there's lots of baggage. You know, we, we may go, yeah, I'd love to be at peace with God. I just, you know, it just is, hasn't worked out so far. 
And yet God is reaching out and saying, there's opportunity. And sometimes we come with our weaknesses and we're going, why would he even want me? And it's not the point. Where's your heart in this? Do you want him? He's willing to open the door. What a wondrous thing that is. We're going to enter into communion about every fourth time I remember. Today I did. I want you to, in a sense, recognize that Jesus in coming to earth was God reaching out to humanity. Jesus dying on the cross was, in a sense, covering a gap that we couldn't. And in his sacrifice for us was showing the extreme extent of his love. And so when we participate in communion and we say, I'm participating in what he has done for us, and we take of these symbols of his broken body and his shed blood, we're again declaring he is completely faithful. He is faithful, faithful, faithful. And all we've got to really do is open our hearts to him and yield. And to then respond to, to his conversation with us. And so, Lord, even in this moment, we pray that you'll again make that alive to us. Speak into our hearts in the way that only you can. Confirm in us again the confidence that we can have in your faithfulness. Thank you for your provision and sacrifice for us. Amen. The other part of this is that when we go out into the community, we have opportunity to be light. And so we ought to be praying regularly in our conversations, Lord, let me speak your words. Lord, do your supernatural work. Do what I can't do on my own, but let your life and light be made known. And then we have to trust him with the impressions that we get to speak those things out and allow God to speak through us in that way. May your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy what it is to be truly loved by you. I ask as each one goes into the community that you'll give them words of life to speak over others. I ask that you'll enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom, gift them with the supernatural. Be lifted up and exalted, our Lord, we pray. We love you this day. Amen. Amen. God bless you.